Hi, it's Kanika, and I'm back with a brand new season of That's Total Mom Sense, where I interview parenting experts, world-renowned thought leaders, best-selling authors, and trailblazing entrepreneurs on their incredible life stories and mom sense experiences. Hi, I'm Gabby Bernstein, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. It's me, Bobby Brown, on Total Mom Sense. Can't wait to share my story. Hi, I'm Dr. Lisa, and you're listening to me on That's Total Mom Sense. Pandemic or not, these episodes will inspire you to make every single day count. Episodes release on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Join my tribe and subscribe wherever you listen so you never miss an episode. It's very hard to kind of get the balance because you want to kind of keep yourself a credible artist who makes music that, you know, that takes time and effort and which, which each song might take a month to make whatever or more longer. But also stay relevant and stay online and make be be engaging with, with people. It's a very kind of challenging thing to kind of constantly be on that social media game of like TikToks and reels and funny videos, but also making that long, longer content, which takes a lot of hard work and time. As moms, we often wonder, am I doing enough for my kids? I'm here to tell you, you are super mama. That's because we have an undeniable superpower, our intuition, and it never steers us wrong. I call it our mom sense. Hi, I'm Kanika Chadda Gupta, and I'm the host of That Total Mom Sense. I'm a journalist, entrepreneur, wife, and mom of three, twins plus one. Now, if I had a dollar every time I heard, gee, you have your hands full. On my podcast, I interview influential moms from various industries and cover topics that all first-time parents grapple with, from getting your baby to sleep to screen time allowance, your new normal in your marriage, and how to dedicate time to yourself. Learn and laugh along with that total mom sense. All right. Hi, everyone. I want to start by telling you that I am so excited for this special interview because it's like none I have done before. My guest today is a mega superstar who I've had the pleasure of interviewing on numerous occasions in the US, Canada, and now on Zoom. And he's being joined by his one and only mom. This show is called That's What a Mom Sense for a Reason. I think this is his first interview with his mom, right? Yes. So this is going to be fun for all of us. The artist that I'm talking about is Arjun Kumaraswamy, or just Arjun. He is a London-based singer, songwriter, and music producer. He's become known for his fusion of contemporary Western and Eastern sounds, combining soulful R&B elements with South Asian music. This formula has made him a huge hit with Asian youth across the globe. As a pioneer in the Hindi and R&B fusion genre, Arjun has set the standard for other young Asian artists now following in his footsteps. He is a multi-instrumentalist capable of playing the guitar, piano, bass, drums, and flute on top of singing and beatboxing. He's currently the most viewed UK Asian artist on YouTube with approximately 1 billion views and has a strong social media presence with over 1.5 million Facebook fans and a half a million Instagram followers. He was signed to India's biggest record label, T-Series. I'll Be Waiting, his first single released on the T-Series channel and racked up over 65 million views, charted at number one in the iTunes India chart and spent over 40 weeks in the UK BBC Asian download chart. 
He signed with Island Records, a branch of Universal Music, in September 2016 and released his first single in 2017, his second single, Vadi, in 2018, and his debut album, Closer to Home, that same year, which reached number one on the iTunes R&B chart in 24 hours. He has a truly international fan base, and as a result, has had the opportunity to perform her fans all over the world to crowds of over 200K in countries including the UK, Ireland, France, Holland, Switzerland, Denmark, Norway, the US, Canada, India, Sri Lanka, UAE, Malaysia, Singapore, Thailand, Philippines, Kenya, Tanzania, Mauritius, Suriname, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. Arjun, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow. We met 10 years ago at Desi Vest uh, in Toronto. You know, I got a chance to film with you and hang out with you for a whole weekend. And it was you, me, our team, and Lily Singh was there too. And you and Lily were, you know, budding artists. So it was nice to be a witness to that. So my first impression of you is one I'll never forget. And two qualities really stood out to me. One is your charisma and two, your humility. You had a flock of girls waiting backstage to take selfies with you. I mean, you were just so kind and gracious, and that just stays true to how you were raised. And I'm excited to have your mom join us later on today. So credit goes to your parents and to you for staying true to your values. means a lot to me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember, you know, just hanging out with you and Lily, we went to some restaurant and shared a boat of fries and she's vegetarian. So her options were kind of limited. Um, <laughs> and you two were comparing your clout scores at the time because that was an app. Yeah. Social media was still very just kind of up and coming and, and being able to like make your mark in this new wave. It was just new to everybody, but yeah, both of you were just so down to earth and chill. And, and it was just nice to be able to hang out with you on that level. Do you remember anything else from that day? We, we met twice in that same period. I think once was in New York and then once was in, um, in Toronto, I think. That was the AC Fest. In, it was, I think, the biggest South Asian show in America, right? In, in North yes. America. I think. So yes. that was, I think, Dundas Square, like the kind of main central square in, in Toronto. And we filmed mm-hmm. like the whole day. I think we filmed like in a hotel, we filmed in, a, in like a restaurant, in a, in a shop. So it was a pretty all-inclusive interview. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to what, what we eat when we wake up in the morning. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Wardrobe. So yeah, that, that was, it was fun actually. I think that's one of the only kind of like uh, full day interviews I've done. So it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was really cool to hang out. And I think mm-hmm. you know, just to kind of get a glimpse of who you are behind the limelight. You know, I think that's what I found to be most intriguing. Okay. So let's start from the beginning. I feel like you are the South Asian Justin Bieber. (laughs) I have to say that. I I mean, I'm a believer. (laughs) Do you get that a lot? I used to get that a lot at the start of my career because I think we both kind of had a a YouTube launch. I think my my, my career began doing covers on on YouTube and as did he, but I think he's obviously far, far bigger name and bigger talent than me, but um, similar kind of thing. We both, you know, play instruments, guitar and piano and kind of, you know, write and compose stuff. And similar, I guess, a little bit of a similar kind of style of singing, like kind of pop R&B. His obviously is more Western, mine is fusion. But I, I have mm-hmm. had the occasion of fully R&B album as well. So flattered to be compared to, to the Beebs. <laughs> but yeah, you know, Humble Beginnings um, and same thing. His mom saw something in him, took out her, her phone and recorded him. And same for you. So tell us a bit about your childhood and your relationship with your family. I was born in Sri Lanka. I moved to the UK when I was about four, oh, three and a half or four. I guess was brought up in a very liberal household, 
not programmed to believe anything. I kind of think for myself, I wasn't really forced into a particular kind of career path or way of thinking. Uh, I was always around different people of different races. From the age of five or six, I was in a, obviously in an English school. Always around a very much kind of multicultural group of friends. I, I was actually in a, in a, in a rock band when I was, when I was uh, 13, 14 with like a whole bunch of English guys. Four very tall English dudes and I was a very small brown kid. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. And yeah, and I was always kind of encouraged to just do what I loved. So at the time it was art and then cricket, music. My dad's a hardcore sports fan. So obviously he brought that angle to my life. So mm-hmm. That's awesome. Your parents were academics though. So tell mm-hmm. us about them. Yeah, so both my parents went to, went to Cambridge, have PhDs, very studious academic family. And same with my brother. I'm the only one who hasn't got a PhD actually in the family, so I'm the black sheep. But um, and <laughs> everyone around me, like my my dad's sister, my dad, or my dad's my grandparents, have always been very academic. All kind of worked in the UN or well, more public sector things. So actually, kind of working, you know, for the Commonwealth, you know, World Bank, that kind of thing. So the pressure was to go into finance or medicine or law. That was like more from my peers around me. We're all becoming bankers and making money on Wall Street equivalent here in the UK. Right. right. My parents, I think they were, were very keen on, on me studying. I, I wasn't the hardest worker. <laughs> I had a very smart brother and, and mother and father. So they all kind of helped me. I used my, my brother's notes for my, all my science exams, like chemistry, physics, that kind of stuff. And mum yeah. was very, very involved with, with up to that. I mean, I think when I escaped my mum was when everything went downhill. I think I peaked around maybe 18 and then I, I went to college. And after that, it was more partying and less working. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah, we all have that trajectory, I think. <laughs> it's yeah, totally yeah. fine. So when did you you know, start training and, and how did you start training? So I actually never trained vocally. I, I never trained my voice. My mom actually kind of encouraged me at the age of about four or five to start the piano and then the recorder, then I did the saxophone and the flute, quite embarrassing, the, the Western flute. And then I kind of moved more towards guitar, drums, bass, and I kind of became more into the kind of R&B and rock and pop world. And then at the age of 15, 16, I think I, I, I became much more interested in like having my own songs and kind of being in a band, that kind of thing. And that was when I began kind of doing small, I used to do small shows, kind of like pubs and small bars and stuff. And then university was right, I think it, it took off for me. And then university, I became very immersed in Asian. I mean, all my friends became Indian suddenly. <laughs> and then, yeah, I know. And then like a you probably, I'm guessing, in America, right? So um, mm-hmm. yeah, I became very into the whole kind of South Asian of like Jay Sean and Raghav and all these guys and that was when that was popping off the key for me was to kind of fuse these two worlds because I always had this Asian influence and I had this Western influence but those guys I saw them doing it and, and doing it well like I saw you know Raghav taking a, a Bollywood sample and then turning it into like a like a bashment dancehall reggae song and then Jay Sean was doing like an R&B you know song with like a, a sample from in yeah, the background or whatever yeah. yeah yeah so I think that that really wasn't was inspiring for me and a whole generation of us, I think, were, were quite inspired by the whole Rishi Rich Punjabi MC. That was big at the time as well. Yep. That was the days of MySpace. You remember MySpace back in the day, but before, <laughs> <laughs> before Facebook and everything, that was crazy. And that, that actually was where I began to build a following. I began basically to put songs on MySpace. I think my first song I ever did was called Aishwarya's Eyes. It was about Aishwarya Rai's eyes. And I was obsessed with that at one point. So I think that was early days of of my kind of Asian music career. And, but, I, but I was still kind of very much more into R&B than I was into Bollywood at that, at that point. You, I feel like, are just the king of, of East-West mashups. And I mean, you named, you know, Jay Sean, Raghav, predecessors, but I feel like you've really made it mainstream. I mean, I love your ballads, like Shayad, I'll Be Waiting, Kabi Jobadal. And you revived classics like Kabi Kabi and Teri Meri. So how do you actually work on your creative process 
So the answer is actually very, very different ways. I mean, so some of them, I write a song in English, which, which is about something I'm feeling. And then I try and think of corresponding song in Hindi that kind of has that same emotion that kind of is contained in it. And then I try and link it together. That's one way of doing it. I've never done mm-hmm. before. Kabi Kabi was like that. I think I wrote a full English song. I, I changed the chorus and I put, I put the chorus of uh, Kabi Kabi into it instead. Some of them basically, I think, are, well, yeah, kind of more like a production experiment. So I, I, I want to see how I can change a song to make it more R&B or make it more, you know, into Western ballad or something. So try to retain the essence of the original song. So I don't want to kind of turn it into, into like a party song if it's like a really, you know, kind of <laughs> emotional song. So right. you try and retain the, the core essence of the song and kind of either enhance it musically and by the, with more production, like more orchestration, like more, you know, more violins and strings and more emotive, like, Kabuji Bada, I think I added a lot, a lot of kind of orchestral vibes to that to make that more kind of, a, more, more epic, I guess, in some ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, my main passion is actually to, to write and produce songs. So actually, if I was to pick between performing and actually creating music, I, I'd probably pick creating it in the studio. So I actually have the most fun is kind of going into like a trance, you know, on your own for like hours out you know, in a room and just kind of seeing what, what happens. Okay, I want to take it back to when I was in college. We had Napster. And I remember growing up, you know, I had my cassette tapes. I used to have Michael Jackson's Bad, Dangerous, Paul Abdul. Mariah Carey was my first CD. You know, now we have YouTube, TikTok. Tell us about like the business and how you really crossed that chasm and like were able to start a career as a recording artist because it's a really saturated market. And, Mm. you know, and now you can get music for free. But I mean, I feel like the labels need to innovate so that their talent is getting their due. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a whole new world. And basically anyone could be a star, literally before you have to kind of highly produce something and spend money to really, really, you know, make something amazing, which you put, put online and, and, you know, people would value that. Now it's, it's kind of quick content. Literally people do like videos that get millions of views of them literally in their bedroom, just doing a dance or doing some, you know, doing some sort of comedy skit. So I think, you know, it's kind of like a very democratic internet. Now. Everyone has a kind of almost like an equal playing field. Like anybody can, be, can get a video that goes viral. The thing is, I guess, trying to monetize that sometimes is people who have massive followings, but they don't really have any, an out, a, a way to kind of to make money. There's obviously, there's the whole new world of influencer marketing. So having a following means that you've got a brand approach you for that kind of stuff. But I think as an artist, it's very hard to kind of get the balance because you want to kind of keep yourself a credible artist who makes music that, you know, that takes time and effort and which, which each song might take a month to make whatever or more longer. But also stay relevant and stay online and maybe be engaging with, with people. It's a very kind of challenging thing to kind of constantly be on that, social media game of like TikToks and reels and funny videos, but also making that long, longer content, which takes a lot of hard work and time. And also trying to remain a little bit of an enigma, not being too, not give so much away that you just become like, everyone knows everything about it. Run of the mill. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But at the same time, you can't be too elusive because then, you know, you kind of fans <laughs> lose interest. I think it's getting the balance between the two. I definitely know a lot of artists struggle with this at the moment, trying to work out how to balance. Because also it does eat away at you. I mean, the, the more time you have to spend on, on Instagram, it's not great for your, for your mental health I'd say I mean I think I think it's, it's if you're kind of so caught up into trying to constantly you know appeal to people and kind of I guess get attention to yourself which is just, which is I guess like what it is really right so the, the main focus of my of my life is to create songs that's the priority always so you know the big song releases are, are the key but in between I try and do covers smaller content funny videos all that kind of thing you know just to kind of stay relevant but for labels it's tough I mean for labels now what labels team seems to be doing is I guess signing talent that is already kind of popped up I think the luxury of a label now is you don't have to do much work in terms of finding talent because there's, it's, it's proven online. If someone's got 1 million fans on TikTok, that means they're already kind of buzzing. They already have a fan following. So before you have to, have to kind of take a risk on, a, on an unknown talent 
there was no YouTube, there was no Facebook. So you literally got yeah. to find someone who could sing really well and looks great and then just put money into them and hope that it works. The problem with that is that there's like an X factor. I think being able to sing really well, being able to look good is great, but there's also like a kind of like an X factor likability factor, which I think, which is very hard to kind of put your finger on what it is. Is there some people you, you don't understand why they're so big? Rihanna, for example, she's very obviously very good looking. She can sing, but there's something about her that's so so different and so and so like so attractive about her that kind of makes people you know want to watch her and, and see her. So I think there's I, I think labels still have a have a have some power in that they do control mainstream media. Still, there's still like a massive infrastructure of media that they have easy access to like the kind of the in the uk we have like the bbc radio system which which does radio is still quite big in the uk i think there's a, a stat that still almost every single song in the top 40 in the charts in the uk is still on radio one and that's what what the main reason is for them charting spotify has changed the game because it's basically like radio plus itunes you can you can go to spotify and, and listen to a genre of music and not have to and it keeps playing new songs that are similar for you so no, no, it's true, it's true. And I think you navigate this really well on on social and when and with your work, um, because there is this sweet spot in the middle that you have to mm-hmm. just hit. So you've collabed with Mickey Singh, Guru Randava. Um, what have your experiences been like when you're meeting other artists? It can go either way. It can be very much just like a business, like this is just, just for the sake of us doing a song. But I think latterly I've realized that a lot of artists have become really good friends and actually Mickey as well, especially Mickey actually, um, has become a, a, a close friend. We, we actually think the key to, to doing a collaboration is to, is to not just talk music, is to actually become friends, hang out, do fun stuff, play FIFA on the PlayStation, whatever, NBA, whatever, whatever it is, and just, just bond a bit <laughs> as human beings. I think I realized after what happened to me uh, when Tash passed away, I realized that actually music is music, but I'm, I'm a human being and other artists reached out to me on a much more human level. I think that, that was the, wow. the point when I think everyone just became much more human because I think it, humanized me a lot more i was like you know like someone who kind of went through something very real and uh, mickey and i bonded because he had something quite tough at the same time and i went I, I went to stay with him in california right where he was at the, at the time and we spent like four or five days and we didn't we didn't just work we also just hung out went went for dinner just chilled out he had a good time i think that really was a very key bonding bonding thing for us same with guru guru i went to his house in in, in delhi after after the touch pass so i went, went there for like about uh, a week and then he came to sri lanka i stayed with my family in Sri Lanka for about a week as well. So that time has really helped us to just grow a much stronger bond, I think, than just a collaboration in music. It's more like a collaboration between friends. And when you perform, yes. it's just that much more fun, right? When you're on stage and, you know, it's just a, a blissful vibe. So I think that that energy, I think everyone's seen has, has been a lot more, like, I think in our scene, in the UK, the AC scene, there's always been a bit of like a rivalry or like a lot of kind of competition, not just mm-hmm. in America, all over the world, really. And any scene, it is, it is at the end of the day a business, but I think we realize that we can all win, we can all, you know, we can all do really well, all tour the world, all have a, a massive uh, fan following, but do it yeah. as a team rather than just doing as it as a team. Wow. Oh my gosh. That's really, really nice to hear. And I think to be able to bond with your fellow artists on a personal level, mm. it's beautiful. And I wanted to bring up, you know, what happened with Tosh. I mean, I, I still remember meeting her um, in mm. Canada um, and she was super sweet and very involved in, um, in your concert there and, and was part of your team, you know? Um, so what was it like just having to go through that dark time? I guess if you want to share, um, you know, how she passed and, and mm. what you went through. Yeah. So it was, it, it was very sudden. Um, she obviously had a kind of a heart defect that wasn't, wasn't diagnosed. So very sudden out of the blue. Um, and, um, yeah, I think it was obviously just a massive just reset in life it was like everything just kind of stopped it was like time just stopped for Stop, a, a yeah. while obviously just didn't, didn't want to 
do, do anything at all, just live in the house. With, and I think my, my friends and family were just with a key then. Just she was, I was always around people, you know, friends were just around me all the time. You know, like kind of on, on like a loop, just friends would, would be coming in and out of the house, just, you know, kind of just for like a few months at least. And so that the early few months, I just was at home, just kind of just trying to just kind of process what happened. I think in a way, I didn't really hide from it. I kind of, I did face it quite, quite full on. Yeah. Um, and um and yeah i think i did i did a lot of just early like a lot of grieving and a lot of healing uh the first six months i didn't do, do anything other than just just that really and then i began going back into music about six months later i think it was i think it was about march so i think she passed away in september um and that actually weirdly really helped me so just getting back into just having a routine have or not routine but you know what i like what do you, what do you yeah yeah like, something to just wake up in the morning and do exactly exactly i think yeah. two main things in my life obviously had been at that point were her and also my, my career so having both of them taken away was was too much i think so having having that back in my life helped a lot having having the whole touring you know just being being away being in a different, different country i think also being in the uk was quite tough because obviously we, 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 we have been there together for a long time so I think being being in America really helped I spent a month in, in the US on tour in I think April or May last year mm-hmm. or last, sorry, 2019 2019 and, yeah yeah mm-hmm. and um and that's when that's that was when I went and I saw Mickey for a week and, and hung out and we, we shot Tingo the video for Tingo which, which is our song which released later so that yeah. was a really really therapeutic period where I just was doing a lot of you know just hanging out with, with people Lily as well that trip I, I stayed with her actually that trip as well in LA um, so that was just basically just kind of bonding, talking about, you know, I think and weirdly as an artist, as an artist you, I think it's quite a unique experience we have that no one else really understands fully because it's just, it's, it's, kind of, it's like to do a life of living like, like a p- very public life and a very personal life. So I think talking to Mickey, Lily, people like that at that time and how to navigate, how to, you know, what to, what to talk about publicly and what not to really helped a lot. So, so and that input and stuff. Um, and yeah, I think so. I, I didn't talk about anything really to do with it for a long time. I think the first interview it was like a year or two later about it. Um, and then, and then the next phase was, I guess, to write Tribute. a song. Yeah. yeah. So initially, it was we, we did a concert like a, a year, maybe two years later. But I think it was December 2019. Was a one was one year. It was her birthday. Sorry, it was her birthday. Uh, a year, but a year after she passed away. So yeah. So that was um, that process was actually very again very healing. Um, went through the whole you know. To write one song about it is really hard because obviously there's a whole bunch of different emotions and 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 grief and sorrow. But also, like I wanted to not to not be too depressing. I wanted to be like you know in some way uplifting and a little bit positive as well. So because her whole vibe was like that, as you know, you met her, right? So she was mm-hmm. very very positive, uh, very strong person. So I think I wanted to kind of make it emotional, but not so 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 depressing that people wanted to kill themselves or something, right? Yeah, so, exactly, so, exactly. Um, Almost yeah. like having an angel in your corner, you know. Yeah, that so, so that song one last time, uh, which is you can have a look, look online if you want. Um, yeah, that was basically yeah. Um, a lot of really, really. I had a lot of um, peace from that, from from that whole process of writing the song, making the video, going through all of our wedding footage and stuff, and just and seeing it. And actually, just being able to, to put it out there and just be at peace with it was, was nice. I think definitely uh, helped. That was phase one. Phase two was was the concert. I think that was uh, again a very very deeply healing process. I think for me, so having. Using that, using what happened to her to kind of raise, I think we raised about, 50, I think, thirty-five thousand pounds, uh, maybe I don't know how much in the US, maybe fifty k US um, that one night in the concert. Uh-huh. So we raised for a heart charity actually, which 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 was a, which is a specialist. It's called Cry. It's basically like it's a, it's focused on kind of heart issues and in the young, in the mm-hmm. in the world. So that was um, again. A really, really nice thing. I think I felt like in, in her life, she kind of gave a lot to me, you know, as a, as a, a supporting. I think she was a doctor, but she also ran my career along with my mom and my, and my mm-hmm. other team. 
very involved in my career. So I think for me, I always felt like I, I kind of owed her almost. Like she, she'd done so much for me behind the scenes um, and she never wanted credit for it, never in the limelight, was always a kind of behind the scenes um, engine working on things. And I think that concept was my way of being like, you know, like kind of making her the kind of, the, the star, I guess, like of the night, right? So, and, and yeah. all, all these guys came perform Guru, you know, Chaz Dami, Dami, Mumsy Stranger, Mickey, Vidya Vox, a whole bunch of artists came from all, all over the world. Um, and performed and that was that was really magical i think that was one of the best nights ever i think in our scene probably um just just that feeling of unity and love and i think the whole vibe of the energy there was was was, was insane so i think that was that was definitely very very again therapeutic for me um and then yeah i think since that point i've been able to i guess just crack on a little bit with 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 normal life and be, be, be able to just i guess yeah i mean obviously not forget i, I still have have moments of, uh, of obviously grief and but I think it's it's I think it's it's a lot easier now I think with time mm-hmm. um, with time is healing yeah for sure yeah. and I, I love that you you know kind of um talk about the support that you had from your contemporaries in the industry who are friends mm-hmm. and then your fans you know um mm. it's really that's so honest of you yeah. how they got you through because it's a difficult um, situation for anyone to be in. Um, you're so young. Like I'm heartbroken that you had to go through that. Um, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I just said, I feel for you, but Thank you've you. powered through and it's, it's really amazing to see that. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, okay. So what are you, <laughs> sorry, cause we've never had an exchange yeah. about this, you know? And mm. so yeah. Just real talk. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm here for you whenever you need oh, okay. to, you know, <laughs> Thank you just Thank you. rooting for you always. Um, okay. So what are you working on now, given that we've been holed up mm. during COVID? What's, what's coming out? I should kind of get, get back to my roots, shooting cover videos in my bedroom, literally like in my bedroom and kitchen and in the, in the balcony. So I had to kind of use my, use my apartment to film a lot of videos. Uh, that's what, that was phase one. And then I began working on, on an album. So hopefully, hopefully we'll release that nearer to summer, maybe April time, I'm hoping, let's see. And then you know, a whole bunch of other collaborations, just released a song with Stuck Beer, who's a, a legend in the, in the game, Punjabi game. Sweet. Uh, Dwayne Gandhi as well, we just did a song, a remix with T-Series. So yeah, the whole bunch of collaborations are coming up as well. So should be fun. I'm, I'm actually excited to just get back on the road and tour. And that's the, the thing I've missed the most is being able to see the fans in, in the flesh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and and <laughs> on, on stage rather than in my, in my bedroom. Yeah, no, no, I, yeah, I feel you. And with the vaccine out, I have hope. You know, I think that um, yeah. in time we'll we'll get through it and we'll get back to our normalcy. We will, we will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I wanted to know if you would um, humor me and do a um, a little bit of acapella, and then you and I can do a duet. I mean, I haven't sung in a very long time, but I think you know it's just it's a bucket list. <laughs> item for me that I did a duet with you. So um you have a song there? Yeah. Why does it feel like I'm drowning? 
I'm out in the water so cold. There's so many people around me. But why do I feel so alone? They tell me I got it all. Money for my fortune. How can you be lost when you work so much? But if only you can know the pain that I've been feeling. Insecure and lonely. Can't you see I'm hurt? Oh my god, that was awesome! Uh, <laughs> uh, All right, cool. Thank you, Arjun, for uh, such a heartfelt, um, candid interview. Let's bring on your momager, Thara Kumaraswamy. So Thara has a BA from the University of Cambridge in Western Classics and a master's and PhD from the University of Sussex in Sociology of Politics. Her husband is an economist who has worked with both the government of Sri Lanka and the Commonwealth Secretariat in London, and their family life has been divided between these two places. Their two sons were brought up in the UK, and before their kids were born, Thara worked as a senior school teacher in Sri Lanka and later as a researcher on projects for the Institute of Development Studies in Sussex and Institute of Education, London University. While her children were growing up, she decided not to take full-time in work, but did private tutoring and involved herself with organizing charity fundraising events, notably for Educated Child Sri Lanka, which has helped hundreds of children with much-needed school uniforms and equipment. Her older son now works for Expedia in London, and her younger son is who we got to chat with today, Arjun, uh, who has decided to become a full-time musician. And she has co-opted in the role of his manager, and we call, uh, endearingly call, momager. Um, and this has necessitated having to re-educate herself in a number of Hitherto unknown areas, ranging from negotiating label deals, handling performance contracts, and maintaining business accounts to become somewhat au fait with social media, as well as trying to walk the tightrope between being a supportive mom, but giving objective career advice to her son. In her spare time, Thara follows the arts generally and has diplomas in art history and classical piano, though her real passion is jazz. Thara, welcome to the show. Hey. Thank you for having me. This is so great. I, I mean, I kicked off the interview saying that this is such a unique um, conversation we're having because I've never had someone of Arjun's caliber, you know, mega recording artist and his mom on, you know, and to have these two perspectives is just really, really interesting. So I'm so glad that you're joining me. So let's start with your childhood. What was it like growing up for you, you know, with your parents and, and your family? Okay, so I grew up in Sri Lanka. I was born in New Delhi. My father was working in the diplomatic service at that time. And so uh, they were there for four years in India. So I, I like sometimes if I meet a Delhiite, I like to claim I'm a Delhiite too. <laughs> yeah. And um, left when I was a few months old and came back to Sri Lanka. And then I grew up there. I went to school there till the age of 15. Um, and Arjun mentioned my parents were from different communities. My mother was a Tamil Christian. My father was a Buddhist. Um, they met at university and in fact they eloped to get married as I've told you before I think um, I think that's so cool at that age and that generation to just decide this is my person and we're eloping mm. yes well I think uh, one of the places they used to meet in because obviously this is not a match made in heaven in those days mm-hmm. was at music singing classes really? so music was important for them as well they used to go to opera classes with a lady called Mrs. Spencer Shepherd, a grand old British lady that was one of the places where they used to meet. But anyway, then they eloped and got married and then um, had me. 
So basically, growing up, I had a very kind of liberal home life. My parents always encouraged you know me to do what I think for myself, choose what I wanted to do, encouraged me to try all sorts of different things. And they never forced me along a particular career path either. So um, for a long time, I couldn't decide what to do. Sometimes that's the case when everything is open. My father did classics, and since I sort of adored my father, I thought I'd do Western classics as well. Anyway, at 15, he got a job in the UN. We left for Bangkok, lived in Bangkok. They lived in Bangkok for 18 years. And uh, at the age of about 17, 18, I then took the Cambridge entrance from Bangkok from the British Council and then went straight to Girton College, Cambridge, having uh, never been on my own. Even for one night, I'd never lived away from my parents. But then, fortunately, I met my husband and he'd been uh, in school in, at a public school in England for five years already. And he was sort of well versed in life in England. He had a lot of his friends had come up to university with him. So he kind of took me under his wing. That was where we met. Then we went back to Sri Lanka and got married. Then came out later to do postgraduate studies at the University of Sussex. He was working for the Central Bank by then. They sent him out to study, so I followed. And then we both did our masters and PhDs, and then back back to Sri Lanka, and had the two children. And both children went to school. They went to Westminster School, and then they both went to Cambridge. And though Arjun likes to put himself down. I have to say that uh, he was a straight A student in school. <laughs> wow. Even though a lot of the time in his junior school, he spent his time drawing cartoons in the margins of his books. <laughs> and sometimes he got more points. He got full marks for his cartoon drawing and a little bit less for his maths or his geography or history or whatever it was. But uh, yeah, so anyway, that's so they grew that's up here. So cool. And um, they're quite different. My older son is probably, I'd say, more kind of rational and cerebral and probably shoulders responsibility more easily, shall we say. Arjun is more artistic and instinctual, you know, easygoing, and probably quite happy to have someone take over uh, <laughs> more menial jobs in life. Yeah, they, but they both share a passion for cricket, which they get from my husband. So all three men are to be found in front of the TV for hours on end. And their daily conversations always start with, uh, so did you hear how much Kohli got last night or... Uh, you know how many wickets X or Y got? Wickets uh, not very big in America, so, you know. You no, know. I know, but it's still interesting. We're still, you know, yeah, South Asian, Indian, whatever. At the end of the day, I know it's in our blood. Um, when did you first notice Arjun's musical talent? I have to say, I mean, I did my level best to make them interested in music, even from the time they were fetuses because <laughs> yeah, I think, playing the music on your belly yes I did you <laughs> can hear from five months on yes uh, onwards so I'd kind of sit next to the hi-fi with my big tummy and play everything from Mozart to the Beatles and hope that it would be heard inside there yeah so I cool. don't know whether it worked but uh, I mean my older son loves music too though it's funny how everybody's taken to a, a different type of music he's more into indie music like Radiohead and Jamiroquai and things like that Red Hot Chili Peppers. I love jazz and classical music and Arjun's into R&B and Bollywood and different things. Yeah. So everybody, but then I used to drag them to musicals and concerts and drum yeah. and percussion festivals and everything I could think of. Mm-hmm. So um, then when he decided he wanted to do music as a career, I felt to some extent I was partly responsible. <laughs> and then my husband nearly had heart failure when he announced he <laughs> his job and and do that. Um, he recovered after a while and uh, took it in good part. What was it in you that felt like we're going to get allow him to kind of not just allow, but just encourage him to take a shot at this versus 
you know, being more risk averse. I reckon that if a child has a passion and you allow him to express that, he's going to do well in it because he wants to do it. He's going to make a success of it because he's put his money in that, his, all his eggs in that basket, you know? So, mm. so that's it. And also I thought you couldn't make him sit behind a desk and do a nine to five job if his passion <laughs> was doing music. I was going to say that we did say as an insurance policy, since you're able to get in, if you're bright enough to get into a good university and do a degree, why don't you do that? You know, you have that to fall back on just in case. And also part of me was thinking that, you know, he's equally good at, he's quite artistic, that if he did architecture, he might actually take to that line. But one thing that I feel like you've gone even further is that it's one thing to encourage your child to to pursue their passion, but you're repping him. <laughs> you know, that's even, it's a bigger feat. You know, you've, you've decided to kind of rearrange your life to be part of his team. So when did that click that it was like, okay, you need a manager and I'm actually the best person for the job? Well, I don't know. It's, it's a mix of things. A, it helps me keep an eye on him. And, <laughs> B, and, and B, I just feel that somehow some of the people closest to you are the ones who have your best interests at heart. Mm. And in a way we'll Put themselves out a little bit more yes. for you. I mean, I didn't think of it in those terms when I started doing it. I just wanted to help him. And also the hours you sometimes have to keep. You know, if you have an employee, they want to knock off at 5.30 or 6. But if somebody suddenly says, look, you've got a gig that can happen in three days' time, I need the contract now. Or you have to stay up to call Australia at this time or US at some other time. Mm-hmm. Not many employees are going to do that. Right. So True. you have to be willing to, you know, break rest at both ends. Sometimes not get much sleep. Mm. But, you know, if you want to get the job done, you have to do it no matter what the time is. Well, what do you focus on for his brand and, and his business? Well, I know the music industry sometimes has a, not such a great reputation. It's sort of as, you know, somewhat flaky or... <laughs> so we've, we've always tried to focus on reliability and professionalism. And, you know, Arjun's never missed a gig. He's never backed out on a gig or lets anybody down the last minute. That's one thing, reliability, and also to treat every hire, big or small, with equal respect, to give them the, you know, the honor they deserve. Diva-like behavior is not encouraged, so. <laughs> yes. Yes. At moment. Yeah, I, I feel like the best word to describe Arjun, it's, it's Punjabi, it's Hindi, he's so Sita. He's so straight. He's so, he's got a head on his shoulders and um, he's down to earth and he's, he's not going to be embroiled in scandal. He's not going to be, you know, acting a fool, be a druggie or, you know what I'm saying? And I feel like as a mom, those are the barriers to entry in a field like this, where you're like, I don't want to lose my child to all the bad temptations and toxicity that's out there, you know? And he's, he's not, you've just done an impeccable job in raising him. Um, and he's, you know, a stand-up guy on his own. But like, is that something that ever worried you? And and how how does he have such a strong head on his shoulders that he's not wavering with all that? I think it's important to always have a maintain close contact with your child. I mean, in my case, it was slightly different. Being an only child, when I had children, I was very clear about it. I was having my children in order to play with them. <laughs> not not to be not to be a mom, but mm-hmm. to be their friend. And to, to have fun with my children, because I, I didn't, I mean, I guess I missed out a lot being an only child. So I always tried to stay close to them and to get in, try to get in, understand their mindset and what, what they saw in something that they enjoyed doing and just stay friends with them. So I stay as close to them as possible. And if, if I think that if 
where things sometimes go wrong in families, other families I see, is when that link is broken. And either mm. the parent tries to impose their view on the child or doesn't even speak to their child that often. So it's just staying friends with your child. And staying friends wow. means you have to empathize and try and understand what they think and feel and treat right. what they think as legitimate and not because it's different from yours, to condemn it and say, no, you should be doing that, you should be doing this. Yeah, yeah. So. wow. Um, is there a mom sense moment that you can pinpoint? And by that, I mean a time where you trusted that intuition that, that moms have about their kids? Probably the moment when I decided, we, I thought that, you know, we really have to let him do music because that's what he wants to do. Especially yeah. I had a very hard slog doing architecture at Cambridge. It's really hard work. Mm. He was a very good sportsman. He had to give that up. He had to just be endlessly drawing and drawing and drawing. He missed out on a lot of stuff and he did put in a lot of effort. So after all that, he said, okay, I've done what you wanted. I've got my degree. Um, and now I want to do music. So, you know, I just thought, look, this child, is, he yeah. has, you know, on that occasion, he'd, uh, he'd put in the time. Right. And he'd earn the right to do what he, if he still wanted to do it after three years, and that's the thing he needs to do. Yes. Wanted, yes. needed to do. Let's not forget our quote of the day. Is there a quote that either of you live by? I don't know about Arjun, but I always stress that, you know, if you want to get something, you have to put in the work. And I always remember that phrase, which is sometimes attributed to Thomas Jefferson, I believe, one of the American founding fathers, which is the harder I try, the luckier I get. Mm. If you don't do the work and put yourself in the place, you don't get the opportunities. Mm. You have to prepare. I think think work ethic for me has sometimes been lacking. I think that's, I mean, that's why she's, that's good to have your mom there to push you because it does feel a bit like, I have a tendency to be like a bit of a chiller, like wanting to just see my friends and hang out and having her and also having, having Tash as well at, at the time really, really to kind of whip me into shape and to kind of get me to, get me to, to do some work has, has been useful. But I think being fully open, it has been obviously still, we, have, we still have had issues in terms of like, you know, getting the balance right between being a mom and being a momager, right? So I think that we've, we have had discussions where we literally work has taken over everything and we were just, at the, at the busiest times of my career where literally we were, you know, doing shows, every few days and there's a lot going on. A lot of our chats were just all about work, work, work all the time. I think we both realized that actually being able to just have that mum and son chat is also important sometimes. I think that's, we've definitely worked, we've, we've improved that a lot. Yeah. yeah. So this um, rapid fire is who is X, Y, Z. And you can just say, you know, Arjun or Momager or okay. who's the one who's pulling the all-nighters? Both of us. Yeah. yeah. And then I, but then it, the difference is I go to sleep and sleep for like 10 hours. She doesn't sleep. So she actually does real, like she, she doesn't, she sleeps like three hours a day. So I sleep, I, I get my sleep. So I wake up in the afternoon at like 3 p.m. I don't get to feed my husband, so I forget to get up in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> a, like a vampire life. Without. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, wow. Who's more outgoing? She's more eccentric and wacky. I'm more like, I'd like to go out and, party and stuff so different different someone, ways someone once okay. said that you know the best way to stay healthy and live longer and happier is to be as eccentric as possible <laughs> that's a good thing that's i mean it's, it's just i can't tell you how refreshing it is okay who is more detail oriented and meticulous me yeah okay. <laughs> who's the tough cookie yeah i don't know actually i mean me a bad cop good cop She's tougher in, real, tougher in real life. I might be tougher sometimes in, in career stuff. We're not that tough either. Of us, quite so. <laughs> you have, yeah, you're sensitive at the same time. Um, who's the funny one? Both funny in different ways. Again, she's more funny to laugh at because she's eccentric. Banterous. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> who's the one with all the ideas? Adam. 
Or did I, I don't know. Different. In music, me. In everything else, maybe, huh? Okay. Um, and who's just, you know, loves to travel, doesn't mind living out of a hotel room. That's him. Well, yeah. I, do, I do more traveling, but she, she actually does a lot more tourist traveling. She travels with her friends and, like, goes to, like, different places like that. So, yeah, maybe. Oh, but, but love, she, she loves traveling more than me, probably, actually, because she actually likes to do sight. Like, she actually does a lot more sightseeing type stuff, goes to museums and cultural things. I always go to a hotel and sleep and go, go and lie on the beach and have a cocktail. <laughs> she will, like, go and see everything she can see in the city. It's actually, funny, funny thing. Soak up the culture. My dad and, my, and myself are exactly the same, like, in that way. So we literally, we, we land in a, in a country and we literally lie on a bed in a hotel room and we're happy. My brother and my mom literally have, like, they're competing for who's got, like, better notes and what to do in that city. So they're, they're like, <laughs> like, plan every minute of the day, like, what can we see in this this, muse- this museum, this site, whatever. So... They're, they're the planners and we're, there. we're, just, we're, we're the sheep who kind of go, go along with them. Along for the ride, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Um, uh, who's the homebody? I guess neither, right? Because we're both yeah. quite happy with our own company, I think. I love the um, homes that we can do at home, but at the same time, we do like to meet, have friends and meet people, go out, theatre, mm-hmm. film, film, see places, music. Yeah, yeah. we have a really proper full, full homebodies. I think we both like to go out as well. Like she, she likes to go out for dinners and things. I like to go. Who's most often on their phone? Yeah. And then uh, who's most often um, reading, like reading a good book? Definitely her. I'm done reading it really at all. Okay. <laughs> I read the sports like updates, especially. She reads everything. Books, novels, fiction, fantasy, everything. Okay, so the last question is, you know, how would you both <laughs> describe one another? Mm, I think she's very, very unique. I'm not, not met anyone like her. She's very, like, one-of-a-kind character. <laughs> In, yeah. in a good way, like very different. I've not met a mum like that for sure. Uh, very free spirited, very fun loving, but also very like academic and studious as well. But like my friends like like a lot. All my girl mates like like hang out with her. She's like I think because she taught. She's a teacher. She taught like kind of young girls. She's always had a, like, quite a good rapport with like with young people. So she she likes to hang out with with, with people. I think. And Thara, how would you describe Arjun? It sounds very silly to say this, but his his kindness, always willing to make allowances for other people. Yeah. So, yeah. oh, well, that's beautiful. I mean, I'm crying now, but this is exactly why I wanted to do this interview was um, to be able to shed light on um, how you two are so unique and um, such standouts in this industry, and how parents can share a relationship and a bond like this with their child. You know, and so it's really beautiful. I think it's inspiring to see both of you. And I can't thank you enough for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you. What a refreshing mother and son interview, right? So in 2021, Arjun has released a remix of Gone at the J with T-Series featuring uh, Janita Gandhi, as well as two of his original songs, Made in Nachna, a catchy dance tune, and Baggage, which is about relationships and the emotional baggage that they often carry. He has new music in the pipeline ready to be released later this year, including a mini album of all his original songs. And he is so pumped to bring this out to the public. Thank you. Thank you once again to Arjun and Thara for sharing your story. Now I want to share a review on Apple Podcasts. The reviewer receives a session with me on podcasting and interviewing. It's a one-hour session, which is $250 in value. So this was given by Chuck Steak 49 and he writes, such a great podcast with a great name. 
I never thought I would be someone who listens to a podcast named That's Total Mom Sense, but it's just such a great show to listen to. There are valuable lessons and advice. I feel I have a better idea of what to expect when I get married and have my family. I love it. Also, the name is perfect. Thank you, Chuck Steak 49. I really, really appreciate it. Um, so do uh, email me at thatsotalmomsense at gmail.com to set up your session. To learn more about Arjun and his work, you can visit his website, arjunofficial.com, or follow him on Instagram at Arjun Artist. Uh, definitely follow me at Kanika Chada Gupta. And you'll get updates on all of my incredible guests. And as always, trust your mom's sense. Stay strong, super moms and super dads. See you next time. That's total mom sense.